Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, June 3rd. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Another cyber attack hitting the nation, this time targeting a ferry system in Massachusetts as U.S. officials address Russian involvement surrounding the attacks. Just months after the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol, new concerns on social media platforms about another potential insurrection. And a new push to meet the president's goal of getting 70 percent of U.S. residents vaccinated with at least one shot by the 4th of July. A look at how the White House is tackling that challenge. Those stories and so much more today on U News. major cyber attacks is hitting America's infrastructure. The latest ones targeting the largest meat supplier in the U.S. and a ferry service in Massachusetts. Now consumers here in the U.S. could see a surge in meat prices after those latest attacks, while Homeland Security officials are warning these hacks could affect any sector of the U.S. economy. America's infrastructure facing a barrage of cyber attacks. Overnight, JBS Foods, the world's largest meat supplier, announcing they hope to operate at close to full capacity today after a devastating ransomware attack. According to the United Food and Commercial Workers Labor Union, all nine of the JBS beef processing plants across the U.S. were shut down. The Brazil-based JBS is responsible for processing nearly 25 percent of the nation's beef to major brands like Costco, Kroger and more. The Biden administration says cyber criminals likely based in Russia are behind the ransomware attack and has told Moscow it's on them to help stop this. President Biden certainly thinks that uh, President Putin and the Russian government has a role to play. The Biden administration also calling on meat producers to work to make sure there's no impact on prices or the supply, unlike last month when a hacking group attacked the Colonial Pipeline, which led to gas shortages, a spike in prices and long lines at gas stations. They're just a continuation of the same ransomware as a service and criminal organizations that were ransoming hospitals and other parts of our economy throughout the pandemic and before. They've just gotten bigger and bolder. JBS said the majority of its plants are operational again. Ransomware attackers take control of a network and hold it hostage until they're paid. Colonial Pipeline paid its attackers $4.4 million. JBS has not said whether they've paid anything. But this is just the latest in a string of cyber attacks. New York City subways and buses hit too. The Metropolitan Transportation Authority now revealing that back in April, cyber criminals linked to China hacked its computer systems. And on Wednesday, near Cape Cod, the ferry to Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard hacked by criminals demanding ransom. Officials now warning of possible delays as the summer season ramps up. According to the USDA, prices for choice and select cuts of U.S. beef shipped to wholesale buyers in large boxes each jumped more than 1%. Experts say overall at least 40 food companies have been targeted by ransomware gangs over the last year. Now to more disturbing news from a former national security advisor in the Trump administration. Michael Flynn is back in the headlines after suggesting that a coup should happen in the United States. Edwin Pitti joins us live from Washington, D.C. with more details. Edwin. 
Andrea, Michael Flynn's recent comments about a Myanmar-style coup in the U.S. could absolutely lead to more violence. That's according to a D.C. Metropolitan Police officer who was brutally assaulted while defending the Capitol during the January 6th insurrection. Flynn, the first national security advisor to former President Donald Trump, was asked at an event on Sunday why the deadly military coup in Myanmar couldn't happen in the U.S., and he responded, quote, no reason. I mean, it should happen here. On Wednesday, Michael Fanoni, an injured officer at the Capitol riot, warned that Michael Flynn's coup comments could be very dangerous. This is what he said. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's insane to hear that type of rhetoric being used, you know, not six months out from, uh, from the insurrection at the Capitol. Earlier this week, a message posted to a parlor account used by Flynn claimed his words had been twisted, even though the entire exchange is on video. But, Andrea, there are growing concerns among law enforcement officials because the social media app called Telegram could inspire new incidents in the wake of the January 6th act attack to the U.S. Capitol. The site's popularity is increasing among Trump supporters and QAnon followers. They are sparking conversations around recent comments made by former President Donald Trump. We have a very interesting time. You, you understand what that means because it will be... Uh, you know, I mean, how do you govern when you lost? How do you govern when you lost? Among those comments, Andrea, I want to read some of them to you. Say, Trump knows what happens. Biden administration will be removed. We, the people, will take action. Another comment saying, he just told us things are about to get very ugly all over the America. These talks aren't going to take this news very well. Be prepared. We're talking about tens of thousands of Telegram users dedicated to incite violence. That's why even Republicans in Congress are now saying they fear that those conversations online could now lead to future violence all over the country. Live in Washington, D.C., Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report. The Biden administration making a final aggressive push to increase vaccinations before their self-imposed July 4th deadline. The private sector, along with state and local governments, coming together to increase awareness, incentives and vaccine access. Lorraine Gassides has the details. President Biden on Wednesday declaring June as a national month of action, an aggressive push to boost vaccination numbers ahead of the administration's deadline of July 4th. Today, we're announcing a month-long effort to pull all the stops, all the stops to free ourselves from this virus and get to 70% of adult Americans vaccinated. U News sat down with the White House vaccination coordinator, Dr. Bashara Shoker, to talk about the initiative. So we are rolling up our sleeves with state government, local government, businesses, community-based organization, faith-based organization, colleges, schools. We're pulling all stops here to make it as easy as possible and to get as many people vaccinated as possible in the month of June. 
Vice President Harris will be leading a national tour. Mayors across the nation will be launching the Mayor's Challenge, a competition to see which city can increase its vaccination rate the most. And vaccine education segments will air on local TV and radio stations. But the task will not be easy. To reach the goal, 16 million more Americans need to roll up their sleeves. And since April, the U.S. vaccination rate has dropped more than 60%. What are you guys seeing in terms of what is stopping people of getting these vaccines? Well, look, Lorraine, there are uh, two groups, I think, that are really important that we focus on in the month of June. There's still a lot of people who legitimately want to get vaccinated. So we want to make it as easy for them to get vaccinated as possible. And there is a group of people who still have questions. They have legitimate questions. We want to make sure we're giving them the answers, the facts, so that they can make their personal decision of hopefully getting vaccinated. Part of the strategy is to increase incentives, like Ohio's lottery program, Vax a Million, which already has two lucky winners. Kroger announced that they're going to give away $1 million each week to someone who gets vaccinated at one of their pharmacies. The NBA, the NHL, NASCAR, NASCAR tracks, they're offering vaccines outside playoff games and at races. Major League Baseball will be offering free tickets to people who get vaccinated at the ballpark. And to top it off, Anheuser-Busch announced that beer is on them on July the 4th. That's right, get a shot and have a beer. A key focus for the administration are black and brown communities which are falling behind in vaccination rates. What is the administration doing to specifically target these groups? The vaccine confidence in the black and brown communities continue to improve month after month since we've started monitoring this back in September or, or October. So we continue to see improvement there. At the same time, we know that we have to target specific interventions and efforts. That's why we are partnering with the Black Coalition Against COVID to activate a thousand barbershop and, and beauty salons that are black owned to make sure that we're bringing education and outreach into the black community and even vaccination at your barbershop and beauty salon if possible in the month of June. So far, at least 12 states have reached and surpassed the Biden administration's goal. Vermont and Hawaii leading the way at more than 80% of adults with at least one dose. But six states are falling behind with less than 50%. I promised you we'd marshal a wartime effort to defeat this virus. And that's just what we're doing. The more people we get vaccinated, the more success we're going to have in our fight against this virus. And right now, COVID cases, the average of COVID cases daily is at about 19,000 a day, but COVID deaths are still happening at about a rate of 400 a day. Meanwhile, the American Academy of Pediatrics is saying that right now we're seeing the lowest numbers of infections among kids in the past eight months. And the CDC is saying that by the fall, with more and more kids getting vaccinated, they are expected to release new mask guidance for school. The Biden administration is also sharing today their plan to share vaccines with the rest of the world. They're saying that they're, they're going to use the aid program COVAX to channel these vaccines. And 19 million of these doses will go to places in Central America and South America. And also 6 million of those will go specifically to Mexico, South Korea and Canada. Andrea, back to you.
Thank you, Lorraine, for all those details. Meanwhile, thousands of pages of communications obtained through freedom of information requests show how Dr. Anthony Fauci tried to keep Americans calm and develop an effective strategy despite conflicts with the Trump administration. BuzzFeed News published more than 3,200 pages of emails from Fauci's inbox from January to June of 2020, and the Washington Post published excerpts from more than 800 pages of emails during March and April of 2020, when he emerged as a source of frank honesty within the Trump administration's COVID-19 task force. And another coronavirus news, a new study found stay-at-home policies during the pandemic lowered crime in more than two dozen cities. An international team of researchers reported the study's findings on Wednesday. They say lockdowns have been linked to reducing crime in 27 cities across 23 countries. The biggest decrease came in robberies and thefts by 46%. Researchers pointed out fewer houses were left unsupervised because most people stayed at home throughout the day. Homicides dropped 14%. However, the potential for domestic violence actually increased. And in economic news, the number of Americans seeking unemployment benefits fell for a fifth straight week to a new pandemic low. It's just the latest evidence that the U.S. job market is regaining its health as the economy further reopens. The Labor Department said that jobless claims dropped to 385,000, down 20,000 from the week before. But the pandemic has forced millions of women to leave the workforce, with many taking on caregiving responsibilities. Now the Biden administration is renewing its promise to help women return to work. Shay Rodriguez explains. Millions of women still on the sidelines. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says in April, about 165,000 women left the workforce. And 2.5 million have been out of work since the beginning of the pandemic. Women leaving the workforce in these numbers, it's a national emergency. The Biden administration concerned about that mass exodus. On Tuesday, Vice President Kamala Harris saying they're working to empower women who were forced to leave when faced with an impossible choice between their job and kids. Minneapolis Federal Reserve President Neil Kashkari says getting women back into the labor force is key to keeping the U.S. economic recovery going. We have to find a way to bring them back to work. I and mean, this is about our economic potential. It's certainly about fairness for those women and their families, but it's also about our economic potential as a nation. This comes as the U.S. deals with surging worker shortages. This week, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce announced a nationwide initiative called America Works to address the growing issue. We know that childcare issues, fears of the virus, there are a lot of issues that are keeping people on the sidelines, and we have to bring them back in Again, for their sake, but for all of our sakes. Shay Rodriguez, U News. U.S. Border Patrol agents took more than 160 undocumented immigrants into custody in two human smuggling attempts in Laredo, Texas. CBP says the first incident was just after midnight on Friday. Checkpoint agents found more than 50 people inside a tanker trailer. All were Mexican nationals and in the U.S. illegally. Hours later, agents found more than 100 undocumented immigrants in another tractor trailer near a checkpoint. Those migrants were from Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, among other nations. The drivers in both incidents are U.S. citizens and were taken into custody with the undocumented immigrants. 
Stories of children left alone at the southern border are becoming more and more common. The most recent one, a five-year-old boy left to fend for himself by human smugglers near the Texas border. Jonathan Mejia brings us that heart-wrenching story. This video has shocked the world. A five-year-old boy was left alone at the border, apparently between Ciudad Juarez and El Paso, Texas, crying and screaming in desperation, begging not to be left alone. With one hand, he asks for help, and with the other, he holds a stuffed animal. According to the French press agency, the child was reportedly abandoned by a man and a woman who said that the little boy has family in the United States. The video shows a U.S. Border Patrol agent assisting the child. Organizations that help migrant families in that border region say that, unfortunately, these scenes are more and more common. We don't know who left the children there, but the truth is that in the region there are several gangs of human traffickers, the so-called coyotes or polleros, who abandon children. Activists are advocating for the child to be reunited with a family member as soon as possible. What is going to happen with this child? 80% of them have family members in the United States, so we are proposing that they be taken to a family member who lives in the United States who will surely welcome them. The identities of those who have abandoned the child to his fate remain unknown. Jonathan Mejia, U News. It's tough to hear those cries. In a meeting on Wednesday, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Mexican Foreign Minister Marcelo Ebrard reiterated their interest in Central American development to achieve orderly, safe and regular migration. The two officials who met in San Jose, Costa Rica, also discussed advancing more fair and equal distribution of COVID-19 vaccines in the region. Mexico has complained that richer countries have hoarded vaccine supplies, leaving poorer countries to struggle to secure doses. The leaders also discussed preparations ahead of Vice President Kamala Harris's visit to Mexico on June 8th. Joining us now to discuss the challenges facing the Biden administration in Central America is Gerardo Bertin. He's the director of Latin America and Caribbean programs at Freedom House. Welcome to you news, Gerardo. Thanks for being with us today. It's great to be with you, Andrea. Thank so you. the Biden administration appears to be ramping up diplomacy efforts in Central America with Secretary Blinken's trip this week and Vice President Harris visiting the region next week. A centerpiece of their efforts is trying to stem northbound migration. What do you see as some of their key challenges in all this? Well, um, th these are the first steps really in a process that um, uh, particularly in the past years uh, were not given the necessary attention. So the first challenge is really to begin to reset the bottom in uh, U.S. Latin American relations. Uh, the visit of uh, Secretary Blinken to Costa Rica show also the uh, willingness to work multilaterally with the Central American uh, uh, governments as well as uh, one of the most important actors in that region, which is Mexico, uh, because most of the migration patterns have to cross the entire uh, country of Mexico. So um, definitely the trip of Vice President Harris is very important also to make sure that uh, we begin uh, to uh, regain collaboration with the governments of this region and to begin to understand uh, the complexities of an issue as migration, uh, which uh, is a consequence of uh, a number of uh, uh, decisions that were not made, particularly when the economies in Latin America were very well in the boom years just now long ago. 
Speaking of multilateralism, how difficult will it be for the Biden administration to navigate diplomacy in a region where multiple leaders, for example, in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, have complicated or even hostile relationships with the U.S.? It will be difficult. It will be complicated, but not impossible. I think that uh, the United States needs to take uh, back uh, its leadership role in the region by emphasizing uh, democratic values and human rights. I think uh, the U.S. will have some very good opportunities, uh, not only in the um, implementation of the Democracy Summit that's coming, but also the Summit of the Americas, which now is scheduled for early next year. Certainly, the re-engagement of the U.S. in the Human Rights Council of the U.N. will be very important. And these are just pieces of a process that will take a little bit longer because, as I mentioned before, uh, for many years before, uh, these uh, relationships uh, and issues were not really given the importance. And the collaboration here will be a very important word because uh, we don't want uh, the region to stand that uh, we are imposing uh, uh, ideas, but rather we want to work with them to also them have a responsibility and own these particular issues that have a lot of implications. For now let's turn to migration. For years, there's been talk of stemming migration flows from northern triangle countries to the U.S. and regional development. But the numbers are heading in the opposite direction, and that's the reality. What needs to happen now that would give citizens and residents of those countries faith that their life at home may change? Yeah, that is also a very complex issue, Andrea, because uh, there, even before the pandemic, I think the, uh, the citizens of these countries were facing uh, citizen insecurity, uh, unemployment, lack of opportunities, uh, informal employment. And now with the pandemic, basically, with some of the governments not managing very well uh, the risks and also the vaccination process, Definitely, um, there's a lot basically to gain in their minds uh, from leaving. So uh, part of this effort by the new U.S. administration is to begin to kind of collaborate and find ways to uh, strengthen uh, democratic governance in this region, uh, economic opportunities. Uh, this is the, the region that has um, uh, a lot of youth uh, demographic population. And uh, definitely there needs to be opportunity for them to be able to stay uh, in decent employment, but also to be able to civically engage in their democracies. I think that uh, it's important to understand that uh, uh, democracy has a value, uh, both for economic and socioeconomic development. And I think that needs to be driven, uh, that message needs to be driven very hard because it will be very hard to stop otherwise, as particularly the U.S. begins to reemerge into some sort of normalcy. And um, uh, definitely the numbers in the border basically show you that they are still willing to kind of risk their lives and their families to come for hope and opportunities. And we need to be able to work with these governments to make sure that basically they uh, have uh, some sort of a responsibility for taking care of their own citizens as well. It's a very difficult situation indeed. Gerardo Bertin, the director of Latin America and Caribbean programs at Freedom House, thanks so much for all your insights. Thank you, Andrea. And in Washington, a new ruling by the Supreme Court could make life harder for those who had anticipated successful asylum claims here in the United States. Jaime Garcia explains. As thousands of Central American migrants have made their way north through Mexico and into the United States, 
Many have found that obtaining asylum in the U.S. is not as easy as they expected. It has taken me 20 years to fight to get it. But the lengthy legal battles to obtain asylum could come to an end. Due to the unanimous decision by the Supreme Court that set aside rulings from the Ninth Circuit of Appeals, that gave total value to the declarations from people seeking asylum. Unless an immigration judge explicitly will have found them not credible. What this case means is there's a change in the law regarding asylum seekers. As a result of yesterday's decision, um, the immigration judge who looks at an asylum case can rule against an asylum seeker even without expressly saying why they don't think that individual is telling the truth. Um, and that can be a basis to deny their claim, even on review to higher courts. The justices base their opinion on laws approved by Congress that give immigration judges the power to decide who can be granted asylum when there is contradictory testimony. What's at stake here is you might lose in court even without that judge telling you why they're ruling against you expressly. Um, and that's really an issue given that we have an asylum court system where the judges are political appointees and are not confirmed by the Senate. Asylum, of course, is so important to ensure that individuals who are fleeing persecution are able to have a fair day in court and be free um, from that persecution. El juez le negó sus casos. The judge denied their cases, and even though it doesn't specify that he doesn't find them credible, the Supreme Court of the United States says that because it is reasonable decision, it has to be backed up. This is the second time in less than one week that the Supreme Court reverses a decision rendered by the Ninth Circuit of Appeals. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. U News covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. Millions of tiny pieces of toxic industrial plastic from a burning cargo ship are now hitting long stretches of Sri Lanka's pristine beaches. The ship also holds hundreds of tons of oil, fuel and chemicals that pose a dire threat to marine life. Communities nearby are being impacted after fishing was stopped amid the threat of an oil spill. Now a huge cleanup operation is still underway to remove the debris. The ship named MS Express Pearl was sailing to India from Sri Lanka's capital Colombo when a fire broke out on board on May 20th. Meanwhile, in the Middle East, emergency units and firefighters were deployed following a massive fire at an Iranian refinery south of the capital of Tehran. So far, 18 tankers have caught fire. The cause of the blaze is still unknown and under investigation, but the government is denying any possibility of sabotage. 
And in Central America, Nicaraguan police stormed into the home of opposition leader Cristiana Chamorro on Wednesday, escalating a political battle ahead of elections later this year in which longtime president Daniel Ortega is seeking to hold on to power. The police placed Chamorro under house arrest, according to her brother, journalist Carlos Chamorro. In a statement, Nicaraguan judicial authorities said prosecutors wanted Chamorro detained on suspicion of crimes, including money laundering. Additionally, the attorney general on Tuesday formally sought Chamorro's disqualification from holding public office due to the criminal investigation launched against her. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken blasted the move on Wednesday, saying preventing Chamorro from competing reflects Ortega's fear of free and fair elections. And in other election news, this Sunday, the midterm elections will take place in Mexico, where hundreds of candidates for different public offices will be elected. But authorities are warning about possible violence and other voting issues. Ana de Mendoza has more. Yesterday was the last day of campaigning for 29,000 candidates in Mexico, marking the end of an election season that so far has seen 35 candidates killed. On Sunday, in addition to confronting that reality, the country's National Electoral Institute will also deal with the influence of criminal organizations and community conflicts over installing more than 163,000 polling places to vote. We are talking today around 40, 50 polling places that are at risk. This is going to change in the next few days. In an interview with Univision, INE President Lorenzo Cordova acknowledged that the country's problems have had an impact on the organization of the largest election season in Mexican history. What is happening, for example, in a place like Aguililla? that several roads are taken. In Aguililla, despite the violence, the installation of polling places is not at risk. But this week, a Michoacan hired gunmen to throw bombs at stores. In Oaxaca, relatives of a candidate threatened a group with long weapons, and in Guerrero, public offices and a module of National Electoral Institute were vandalized. But of course, elections end up becoming a very powerful way, let's put it in this way, to get attention. In fact, yesterday one of the leaders of the self-defense groups in Guerrero called to stop mayoral elections in two indigenous municipalities. And it is the population that would have to become active and to enter the communities and municipalities to prevent the installation of ballot boxes. That is why it is important that the authorities responsible for guaranteeing public safety, who are capable of negotiating with these groups, do their job. On Sunday, almost 100,000 National Guard members will guard the polling places. And the Mexican president promised that on Sunday there will be calm. The country is at peace. Reported by Jessica Cermeño in Mexico City. Ana de Mendoza, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.